Good evening, everyone. How are you all going? Great. Good. Lovely. All right. Well, tonight we are continuing our series in Philippians that we've been doing for the last few weeks, but I see a few faces here tonight that might not have been with us for all of that. So I think it's good I've done a bit of a recap at the beginning of the message. Um, But as I was thinking about this sermon tonight, I was thinking about a few weeks ago, I was on my phone scrolling through and I saw this video about this concept called baby sign language. And who's heard of that? Has anyone heard of this before? The new parent in the room definitely has. Amy and Sam here tonight. Um, I'd never heard of this before. You know, kids like clenching their fists to say that they're thirsty, that they want milk, different things like that. And I thought, man, is this like a real, like, crazy 21st century parent thing? I don't know what to think about this. And then literally a week later, I was with a friend that has a baby, and she started doing this, and I thought, maybe this is a thing. But I just thought that was so incredible, you know? We know that we have infants in our world, and they know how to get their parents' attention when they need something, whether, you know, it's crying or they get uncomfortable, they get disgruntled, they know how to say in one way or another, mom or dad, I'm hungry or I'm tired, I need you, I'm sick. And I think that that's really quite incredible that there's something built in us, this biological instinct from a really little age to be able to say, I have a need and I need someone to help me fill it. But I also think it's kind of interesting that when you get on a little bit further in life, maybe to when a kid is like two or three years old, their concept of need kind of changes a little bit, right? Need might become, I really need that lolly, or I really need to go on the car ride thing in the middle of the shopping center. And not only does their idea of need change, but maybe their method of trying to get what they think they need changes a little bit too. You know, it could come in the form of a tantrum or of some very cute manipulation. But I think it's funny that this biological instinct that kind of turns into this cute little, I'll try and twist my parents to, to get what I think I need as we grow older, Sometimes it can almost turn into this kind of narcissism in us as people, in the kindest way possible. We get older and we do everything that we can as humans to ensure that life is comfortable for us, that it fits our preferences and that it does meet our needs, whatever we think our needs might be. And we're in a place in our world where we are able to have our our needs met in any way possible. You think about the the cereal aisle in the shopping center. You can have whatever you want. Coffee orders, phone, everything that we think we could want or need, we have so much choice to have it fit our exact specifications. But I don't think we just do this with, you know, possessions and stuff and food. I think in, in ways we kind of end up doing it in our relationships a little bit as well. Sometimes we start to think that people should be just the way we want them to be, that they should be able to understand us and our feelings and our relationships should be just so. Sometimes I think we do this in the church. We think the church is just here to fulfill our needs, that the church should look exactly the way that we want to. And I guess the vein through all of this is, is sometimes in life, not, not always I know, but there's kind of this underlying current that we prefer our needs to be met rather than meet the needs of others. And as we continue, as I say, in our series in Philippians tonight, we we learn that Paul, who wrote this letter, wants the church in Philippi and us today too, as followers of Jesus, to be the complete opposite of this. 
We've gotten through chapter 1 now of Philippians and we see through, through chapter 1 that, that Paul, he really dearly loves the church in Philippi. He is overjoyed to hear that after he's left them and they've continued worshipping, that they've carried on in faith. They've continued to meet together. A little bit further on, he's encouraged them that even if they suffer persecution because of their faith, like he is, Paul is in prison as he writes this letter, that the gospel is worth it and Jesus is worth it. And in line with that, he's told them that they need to stand united with one another. Even when outside pressure from the world might be coming in, they need to be able to stand side by side for the cause of the gospel. But as we turn now to chapter 2, if you've got your Bibles with you, we'll be in Philippians 2, 1 to 11 tonight. He turns his attention from unity sort of against the outside world to unity within the church, urging the church to have peace with one another. So I think Paul probably knew that they, just like we today, are often so prone to, to desiring our own needs to be met, to placing ourselves above others in terms of esteem or priority. But we'll see tonight that he calls them to a radically different way of of living. He calls them to love each other above themselves, to love each other above themselves, just like Jesus did. And we know that that's no easy feat, right? We know that there's no one-way ticket to be able to do this perfectly as human beings anywhere in life, and, and the church is not exempt, but Paul's words really do bring wisdom and guidance that can teach us tonight. And I think at the crux of it all, what he wants to remind us of is the power that comes with being a child of God. Because in being a child of God, each one of us here tonight can acknowledge that we are therefore brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to look at this passage tonight and see how Paul's words show us that we can love others like Jesus, by recognizing what we share, imitating Christ's humility, and worshiping Jesus as our Lord. So before we jump into the passage, let's pray tonight and ask the Spirit to help us. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you that even though these are letters that were written by a certain person to a certain group of people so long ago that there is so much truth in this that we can still apply today. And so we pray tonight, Holy Spirit, as we've already sung, would you fall on us right now and would you help us to understand your word? Would you pierce our hearts and to show us where we're living in opposition to this and encourage us to live more in line? with our Lord Jesus. Christ, you are so, you're so in this passage. You are so central to this passage. And as we look to you tonight, we pray that you would be our helper, our, our leader, our friend, our example, and our guide. And so we just we want to leave this place tonight changed, but particularly changed in the sense that we remember the bond that we have as the people of God and the closeness that comes with being a child of God, not just to you, Lord, but with one another as well. So would you help us in that, we pray. Amen. 
sorry, to see how we can love others like Jesus by recognizing what we share. We're just going to read the first few verses, verse 1 to 4, um, but it will be up on the screen as well. So, verse 1 to 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So as I said, Paul was just saying in chapter 1, you guys need to stand firm. You need to stand side by side for the gospel, even if you're in a face-off with the world. The gospel is so worth any opposition you'll come up against. And then in light of all of that, he says, therefore, you also need to do that inside the church with one another. We know that the Philippian church, they were in a pretty good place. Paul speaks to them far more positively than he does some of the other churches in the New Testament letters. But I think it's still safe to assume that this was not the perfect church because where there are people, there is never, ever perfection. And so we don't really know whether there were some rumblings in, in the church in Philippi that were needing to be sorted through or whether Paul was just trying to encourage them on in the direction that they were on if they were doing pretty well at this. But, you know, he says to them, make my joy complete. One way or another, he's telling them, this job doesn't cease. This is something we need to carry on doing as the people of God, never forgetting it, but always striving on towards better, deeper, more positive relationships with one another. And he lists in these first few verses all of these things that they share, all of these things that tie them together in Christ. They share a unity because they have Jesus in common. They share a comfort because they're loved by him. They share the gift of the Holy Spirit and all the virtue that that brings, tenderness and compassion. And just like the church in Philippi shared all of these things, so do we here tonight with one another. He goes on and he encourages them to be like-minded, to be of one mind and one spirit. And now to read that at face value seems kind of impossible. It seems kind of difficult until we realize that Paul's not necessarily asking us to be like clones of one another, to be like automatons that, you know, don't have independent thought and we think the same thing about everything. I think he's pointing more to this idea of being united over the big things, over the main things, you know, the gospel things. He's reminding them that as the church they share an infinitely important purpose and mission and with that in mind, with that goal at hand, that's what they're to strive towards in one mind, one heart, one spirit. He acknowledges all this stuff that ties them together. And then he asks them to show complete selflessness. No easy feat. He tells them to abandon any attempt to get ahead of their other family in Christ and to always put other people before themselves. And as we were talking about before, this is obviously the complete opposite of what we're so often prone to do as people. 
especially in the world we find ourselves today, more and more we find reasons to feel isolated or to feel divided from others around us. And this passage tonight reminds us that we need to hold tightly to what we share as the people of God. And see, this, this is bigger than just like a ministry you might be in or a home group you might be a part of. Those are beautiful things and those are things that tie us together. But those things happen in seasons and life changes. The things that we share, though, as the people of God that will span our whole life are invaluable when it comes to remembering the unity that we have. If we believe in Jesus, there is a unity that we are just kind of gifted to one another because of all of these things that we share. But we also have this pressure, I think, to feel like we've got it all together, you know, to win the rat race of life, keep up with whatever lifestyle, whatever sort of celebrity we feel like we've got on a pedestal this week. And Paul makes it so clear here that that is not the key to unity. That's not the key to being a follower of Jesus. Whenever we feel tempted to prioritize our own needs or our desires or our ego above our family in Jesus, we need to remember that we are a family. We are a family. Being adopted as a child of God means that we are in this together. And the things that we share because of this gospel that we claim to be not only true, but the central point of our lives is an anchor that keeps us bound with one another. And so we need to love others by recognizing what we share, but we also need to imitate Christ's humility. If we read on a little bit further, verses 5 to 8, Paul says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul here is talking about Jesus as the ultimate example of what it means to have love and peace with other people. Some scholars think that this little part of this chapter of Philippians might have been a first century hymn, something that already existed that the church might have known. And Paul either just brought it straight in to sort of reference to the church in Philippi, or maybe he adapted it a little bit. Other people don't think it's a hymn at all. They think Paul just got really poetic in this moment that he wanted to paint a portrait of Jesus that, that captivates us and, and amazes us. And I think whether, whether you believe that this is a song that the church would sing or, or just this beautiful poetic verse that Paul has written to try and portray something to the church, he's really trying to draw attention to Jesus in this moment. He's really trying to draw attention to Christ's humility in particular, highlighting to the church in Philippi how to relate to one another. And he really describes in this moment Christ's humility as, as the part of him we're supposed to try and imitate when it comes to relating to each other. We have to consider when we stop and we look at these verses and when we look at our Lord how truly mind-blowing it is. We just have to try and stop and reflect and come back to basics and remember again that Jesus, who is God, 
who is part of the Trinity, who was there from the very beginning of creation, made himself nothing. He emptied himself of of some of the, the glory and the divinity that came as he came as a baby in a manger and he lived on this earth. He was not living like a God in so many ways when he came to earth in that moment. And when he lived on this earth, boy, did he serve. He worked with his family as he grew up. He served the sick and the hurting. He served his disciples. He washed their feet. All of those that he taught. He served others. And he made the ultimate sacrifice to do it. He sacrificed so much of his glory to come to earth at all. He sacrificed every single day as he chose to serve others. And of course, the ultimate sacrifice of his life on the cross so that each one of us could know God unhindered. I want you to picture for a moment a crazy rich CEO, like a Forbes billionaire kind of person who's at the peak of their career giving away everything they have to feed the hungry, house the homeless. Or the Queen of England at the age of 30 saying, nope, I give up all the wealth, the title, the privilege, the security, and I'm going to spend my whole life living in the third world educating kids. These aren't really stories that we hear. And Jesus was this kind of radical and so, so, so much more. Life is messy and people are messy and the church is messy. But Jesus is breathtaking. Jesus is worthy. And by imitating his humility, we begin to have so much of a better shot of loving others in all the day-to-day of life. I was thinking back to when I was a kid. We had one of those toy, you know, wooden cubby houses in the backyard. And one of our favorite things to do with that, my sister and I was, you know, we would play shop where people come up and buy things and give them to them or, or post office. I don't know why post office was fascinating for us, but that was another one of the you know, careers we took up in our cubby house in the backyard. Just errands that we'd watched our parents run and, and that was what we wanted to be in the backyard. I was talking to a friend the other week whose daughter has recently decided she is going to be a teacher. And so that now means that he has to spend every Saturday morning in the living room being a student while she teaches him classes and gets his test marked and all the rest of it. And I was thinking about those circumstances and I think there's something in that about the kind of posture that we need to have when we come to imitate Christ's humility, you know? We won't always get it perfect, but that posture of trying to learn and grow and and see a scenario and throw ourselves into it 100%. And even if we don't get it all right, coming out the other side, knowing that we can learn and we can adapt and we can try to be more and more like the one we are trying to imitate next time. When we live our lives trying to imitate the humility of Christ, who gave up so much, who never name-dropped or took advantage of, of his, his glory, his equality with God, and who never, ever walked away from someone in need, then I'm so sure that we will find ourselves loving each other better. But loving others like Jesus 
by recognising what we share, by imitating Christ's humility, you know, they're not necessarily easy tasks. It kind of feels like, in a sense, we have to be conscious of those things. You know, we have to be thinking about them to let them actually take effect in our life on a day-to-day basis. But as I read the last few verses of this passage, I saw a beautiful truth in it that helps make those other two ways that little bit easier. So if we finish at the end of our passage here in verses 9 to 11, Paul says, Therefore God exalted him, that's Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul's continuing in this song or this this poetic verse to talk about who Jesus is, to talk about his divinity, but also his great humility. But here he's talking more about the glory that comes to Jesus after his resurrection, the glory that is still to come, the glory that we are still to see given to Christ when he returns and everyone on this earth all of the spiritual realm will come and worship Jesus for exactly who he is and exactly what he did. When we worship Jesus daily, twice daily, on Sundays, in our home groups, early in the morning or before we go to sleep as often as we can, we find ourselves inspired by him more often we'll become better at focusing on what we share as God's people and the humility that he showed that we're supposed to imitate. It's kind of like, you know, if you, that phenomenon when you're looking for a new car and so all of a sudden you find yourself looking at the backs of cars as you're driving to see what make and model. And if you're thinking about one in particular, you start seeing it everywhere, like you've never seen one before in your life. I think a similar thing happens to us when we focus on Jesus in worship as often as we can. We'll begin to see more and more opportunities to live like him in our relationships with one another. And while fixing our eyes on Jesus kind of keeps that task of loving one another in the forefront of our eyes, the act of worship literally ties us together as well. I found this quote by a theologian from the previous century, A.W. Tozer, and um, he's written a lot on worship, beautiful stuff. And he wrote this quote on this. He said, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, all tuned to the same fork, like a tuning fork, are automatically tuned to each other? They're of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to the one standard to which each one must individually bow. So, 100 worshippers meeting together, each one looking to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they ever possibly could be, were they to become unity consciously, turning their eyes away from God and striving for closer fellowship coming together in worship, fixing our eyes on Jesus, literally unites us as a people in really powerful ways. 
And so I, I want to invite the team to start coming up now. We are going to worship now. We're going to sing our praises to Jesus, to declare our belief in him. And after that, we are going to share in communion together. Another beautiful and powerful act of worship that represents many things, but that too also represents our unity, the things that we share in Christ. I think it's safe to say we know that life's felt a little bit messier lately. There's so much that's gone off the rails. There's no normal anymore. And in that place, it's so easy to turn inward. It's so easy for us to focus on our own problems, on our own needs. It's easy for us to set aside our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can watch church from home. We can access the best preachers in the world. And I've just got a lot going on. It's so easy to find ourselves in that place. But Paul calls the church to something so much more beautiful in this passage. We're called to love each other above ourselves. We are God's family. We can do that by remembering always what we share, the blessings and the purpose that unites us and gives us a common cause. By imitating Christ's humility, seeking to treat others with respect and dignity and care like he did every single day he was on this earth. And by worshipping him, by fixing our eyes on the sun so that we are constantly left inspired by who he is and tied together, tuned together as we sing praises to him. And so would you, would you stand? I would like to pray for us before we sing and head on into communion, but that's our encouragement here, to remember we're family and remember what unites us. Let's stand and pray together. Jesus, we know that in you we have so much. And those are blessings that we share as the people of God. And there's so much in this world that competes for our attention, that weighs us down. But would you give us a fresh appreciation tonight for what it means to look out for one another, to put each other above ourselves, to be there in the hard moments, the good moments, the daily grind moments. We need your example, Jesus. We need your help. We want to be more like you every day. We want to love others the way you did. thank you that you will, you will never, ever stop being worthy of our praises. And as we come and we worship you, we're tied together to each other, to believers all across history that have praised your name. And when we worship you, we see more light and more peace and more hope that we can share with each other. So Holy Spirit, as we sing right now, would you fall on us in a fresh way? as we sing these words together, as we declare that we believe these things are true, as our voices unite over this, would you move in a powerful way, reminding us that being part of the family of God is a precious gift. This gift for you, Lord Jesus. But we just want to acknowledge 
praise that we do this journey with here right tonight. Lord, where there is disunity, would you give courage and patience and grace, forgiveness, 